Well, you've, you've gone the distance. Come to the final scene of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 35 is where we're going to pick up in our study this evening. Exodus chapter 35. We've seen that Moses has been on the mountain making intercession for the people of Israel because of the golden calf failure. God said originally he's not going to go with the people. The tabernacle project is canceled because God was going to consume him as the people if he'd continue to go with them. Uh, after intercession is made, we are noted that God is an amazing God. That His character of graciousness and mercy, that He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty is the reason why God is able to continue with the people. And so now all this has been leading up to this one grand moment. The whole book of Exodus is funneling to this moment that we're going to have now the tabernacle being built. Remember, it was way back in chapter 25 that we have God saying the purpose of the tabernacle it was God's desire to dwell with His people, to be in their midst <coughs> And to go with them every step of the way. And so that's what is finally going to happen. Once it seemed that it wasn't going to happen because of the people's sins. And now these final chapters give us uh, this great reward as God is going to be in their midst and travel with them from Sinai to the promised land. Before we see then the directions concerning the construction of the tabernacle, you might be surprised at how chapter 35 begins, because at least I am. Chapter 35 begins with the Sabbath being restated all over again. I've highlighted to you a few times in the book of Exodus the frequency at which the Sabbath keeps coming back in again and again. Of all the laws that would be restated, how interesting it is with great repetition that God comes back and brings in the Sabbath again. I mentioned, I think, on a Wednesday night class a couple of weeks ago, this is kind of becoming something in the back of my head that I'm going to have to go track down uh, because this is not by accident that God would keep bringing in the Sabbath again and again. We don't have a restatement of the Ten Commandments or any such thing, but these first three verses simply remind them about the need to keep the Sabbath. In fact, it seems to me that the Sabbath is the key to chapters 32 to 34, as well as the key to understanding the whole book. The the purpose of the Sabbath and the concept by which God is offering the Sabbath to the people is offering a, a hope of rest in the presence of God. It is not then by accident that once God says, I will go with the people. The very next scene is a Sabbath. Hope in being at rest in the presence of God. Which ultimately is what the story of Exodus is about. The people have been enslaved in Egypt and they are separated and unable to go and worship God as God has designated for them to do. Pharaoh will not let the people go out into the the wilderness of the three days journey and to worship God. And so God now comes with these great plagues and sets the people free. Why? So that God can be with the people and that they can be at rest now in the presence of God. 
And so we have watched this whole scene unfold as the golden calf scene seemed to not only threaten the ability for God to be in the presence of an unholy people, but we've also observed that it brought Israel to the brink of destruction. That God's words were, just step aside Moses, they ought to be consumed for what they've done. And yet, because intercession is made, there is a rest that remains open to the people. The rest, the promise, the the hope of this promised land still remains intact as God is going to be with the people. And therefore, as we come into this finale, and one of the things that we observe in a lot of the prophets will constantly talk about the people not observing the Sabbath, is that the faithfulness to the Sabbath is important because not only is it a reminder that you were slaves in Egypt and how God brought you out by a mighty hand, but that God was bringing them to himself. This is the whole of the book, that God was bringing the people to rest, to rest in his very presence. And now this is not going to occur. And so what we see in chapters 35 through 40 is the construction of the tabernacle. If you've ever read through the book of Exodus, and if you've done like the annual readings, you might skim through chapters 35 to 40 because it practically repeats chapters 25 to 31. And you go, well, I've already read all this the first time around because in chapters 25 and 31 are all the directions for the tabernacle. And then chapters 35 to 40 then go about describing, here's how they built the tabernacle as described in those prior chapters. But there are two themes that are repeated quite a bit in this section and therefore two areas that we need to highlight as we look at these final chapters since it comes out again and again. The first thing that you'll notice is there is a a massive repetition given about how the people's hearts were stirred up to give. Notice how it is described in chapter 35 and in verse, let's begin in verse 21. It says there in Exodus 35, verse 21, And they came everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the Lord's in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. They all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And all the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. You just see an amazing description here that 
Everybody has a heart to give. Everybody who has something to contribute, they desire to contribute to do it. They have this great heart. Whatever they possess, whether it be certain animal skins and hairs or yarns or stones, they're going to give whatever they can give to this project. We see men and women both giving, men and women both working on the tabernacle. Everybody is involved, a major joint participation in in, in all of this. And then I want you to notice something that becomes absolutely stunning. Move forward to chapter 36 and look at verse 3. Exodus 36 and verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for the doing of the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that they were doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was suffice to do all the work and more. Wow. So now God says, we're going to build this tabernacle so that I can dwell with the people. And the people's response is just overwhelming contribution. The free will offering, whoever's heart moves them. And their heart is so moved that it tells us there particularly that they had to be restrained. I love that word right there. Restraining them from giving. You have to stop giving. I know that you want to give, but you just need to stop because we have so much to be able to build it. More than enough to build this tabernacle. And so Moses is begging the people, please stop giving to this project. You have to imagine how pleased God was at that moment. When you think of how the New Testament describes God loving a cheerful giver, and this is exactly what you're watching in the people and this overwhelming desire. And this is the idea of what God's people do, is that God's people want to give. It is what Paul is referring to again and again, that God has no desire that we would be under compulsion or have to be demanded of us. Notice that God does not say, okay, everybody, here's how much you have to give. And if everybody will just give this much, we'll have enough for a tabernacle. God is able to sit back and say, who wants to give? Who's interested in doing the Lord's work and giving? And that's all he leaves it. And the overflowing response of the people that Moses finally says, we have to stop. I think it's such a beautiful picture of what the heart of the people of God is supposed to be. Is that we see that there is work to be done and it is in our heart to give as much as we can possibly give to see to it that that work can be accomplished. And that's what's happening here as these people do this. A beautiful picture of the heart of God. And this is what the Apostle Paul argued in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and saying in their giving to help those needy saints in that context, he says, you know that God is going to supply your needs and take care of you in the process of you doing the work. In fact, he makes the argument that the reason why God gives you these things is so that you can use it for the work. And by using it for the work, He will continue to take care of you in that process. 
And this is exactly what is happening here in the book of Exodus. It's not that these people now all went hungry the next day, but that God is still caring for them and taking care of them as they give and give and give to the beautiful tabernacle, this beautiful heart that the people have. One of the things that I think is so neat to see in that is that repetition that's there, that their hearts were stirred to give. Their hearts were stirred to give. They had the desire to give. And that should be where it's just simply left at, is that we would have that same desire, that same love for God that wants to do whatever we can to see the work accomplished. The second repetition that is found in these chapters is one that I think is most notable, is found all throughout these final chapters. I'll take you over to chapter 38 and verse 22 that you'll begin to see it and then you'll just watch how often it happens. Look at Exodus 38, verse 22. Notice how that verse ends. Made all that the Lord commanded Moses. Look at 39 and verse 1, the very end of the line. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Chapter 39, verse 5, the very end. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Chapter 39, verse 7, the very end. As the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 39, verse 26. As the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 39, verse 31. As the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 39, verse 32. All, they did all according to that the law that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. Notice how this all this section ends in chapter thirty nine verse forty two according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. I think that is so interesting that this whole section has this repetition. As the Lord commanded, that's what they did. And then rounding it all out to say it almost in triplicate, according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people had done all the work. Moses saw all the work. Behold, they had done it as the Lord commanded so had they done it. <laughs> just how many different ways can you say in repetition they did it just as God said they should have done it? Why the repetition? Why say that over and over and over again, line after line? You get a paragraph or a sentence, and then God says, and they did it just as I commanded them. And then to end the whole scene with, and they did it just as I commanded them. Why go through all that? Why tell us that? And I think it's a very important thing that God is emphasizing to the people that you see coming out in the building of this tabernacle is that what we are noting is that this shows the importance of what is commanded to obey it with precision. It is a thing that is lost in our religious world today. That God desires our obedience to come with precision. That there is a reason why God says to do things the way that He says to do them. It was not up for the people after given all the laws and all the rules and all the details to then step back and they go, well, do you think God really cares if we make it out of goat hair? You know, 
Got some of these other animals we could use. Maybe that'd be all right. Onyx stones, that's kind of pricey. Maybe we can come up with some other kinds of stones instead. The emphasis for five chapters is stated over and over again is that God's commands must be fulfilled with precision to do things exactly as He has commanded them. It is not up for us to step back and say, boy, what is all the fuss with that? (laughs) You know, what is the big deal if we do it like this? Or one of my favorite lines, does God really care if we do this instead of what it says right here? Yes, (laughs) that's why he said it. I don't appreciate my children going, I don't know if I should do it exactly as dad said. What does it really matter if I do it exactly as as dad said? I'll just kind of do whatever I want. I say, clean your room and, eh, you know, that's just, I'll, I'll just, you know, clean the driveway instead. No. And yet so often our mentality toward God can fall into the same ballpark and say, well, does God really care if we do things like this? Does God really care if we do or don't do these things? He absolutely does. It is not up for us to decide if something is worth doing or not. It is up for us to do what God has commanded us to do. And so what this shows here that that's being recorded for us is not only the precision by which it must be obeyed, but there is importance to the commands that God gives. There's a reason behind those things. I suppose every parent could raise their hand and say, everything that I tell my children to do, there's a reason behind it. Children may not understand why, but there's a reason behind the things that I tell them to do. In the same way, God did not say things just to make sure that your Bible would be really heavy when you have to carry it around. Just fill it all up, make it real thick. You know, what are we we going to do with this big thing? There's a reason why He said all these things. There's a reason why these commands are here. There's a reason why He reveals Himself in this way. It is up for us then to make sure that we understand the importance of God's commands and to understand the need for precision in obeying exactly all that the Lord has commanded us to do. To put this simply, nothing that God says can be ignored, treated lightly, or taken for granted. They should not be taken lightly, taken for granted, or ignored. There's a reason that God said that. You might recognize that in the religious world today, amongst those who claim to be followers of Christ, there is a lot of seeming latitude of we can just do whatever we want to do. And as long as we say we love God, that's all okay. These people could say they love God. But if they didn't do things exactly as the law of God had commanded here, you wouldn't see what this grand ending was going to be. There's a reason why God said to do it. And there's a reason why God says here, and they did it exactly as I commanded, exactly as I commanded, exactly as I commanded. In fact, notice what happens because they do everything as the Lord had told them to do. Look at verse 34 of chapter 40. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the grand finale. And it shows here that God's commands have a purpose. Why all the details? Why all the laws? Why give ten commandments? Why talk about sacrifices? Why all the details about the tabernacle? Why all the details about a priesthood? And who can be priests? And what they have to wear? And we went through the blood being sprinkled and the kinds of animals and all that we go through that when we talk about when we first started the book that is easy for us to try to read that and go look at all these details and we just kind of have a hard time going through all of those details. Why does he do all that? Because God wants to be in their midst. The reason behind the laws and the commands and the teachings and the details is because God wants to be with his people and we see it then displayed as the book ends with the glory of the Lord. The invisible God giving something for the people to see. So that they would know that God is with His people. We saw that idea back in chapter 25. God could just say, well, I'm going to be with you. Hope you believe it. But He does something tangible here. Build me a tabernacle. And then once the tabernacle is done exactly as as the Lord had commanded, the glory of the Lord, which was in jeopardy earlier because of the golden calf, Now comes down in a cloud, fills that tabernacle, and stays with that tabernacle as a cloud by day and a fire by night. And please notice the big deal in verse 38, that this then cloud and fire was in the sight of all the house of Israel in all their journeys. We'll need that in the book of Numbers to think about that. All of their journeys, everywhere they go, there is the cloud of the glory of the Lord and the fire of the Lord constantly before them wherever they go. I want you to keep that glory of the Lord filling as a cloud idea in your mind because the New Testament relates very strongly off of this this whole picture in the book of Exodus. It is so fascinating. We come into the New Testament. Luke and John spend some time talking about some of this imagery and what it means for us as Christians today. Notice what Luke 9 verse 28, how Luke records the transfiguration scene. Luke 9 verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory 
and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This is a a fascinating revelation as the way Luke records this. This transfiguration scene. Notice there's two people talking with him, Moses and Elijah, and it's described, well, they're appearing in glory. And what are they talking about? And it's a little bit easy to miss and say, well, they're talking about his departure. Well, not exactly. Because when we think of his departure, we think, well, he's talking about dying. But this word, this Greek word here is actually exodus, which is so interesting. Because he says they're talking about his exodus, which he was about to accomplish. We've been talking about how the book of Exodus is a model for the New Testament redemption. And here we see there is this discussion going on about this new exodus that Jesus is going to accomplish in Jerusalem through His death and resurrection. The new exodus of redeeming people, breaking them free from slavery so that they can come into the rest of God and be in the presence of God is all about to be accomplished when Jesus gives His life in Jerusalem. And this is the exodus that they're referring to. It's not just merely leaving this life exodus idea, but a Far bigger exodus is at stake. In fact, a couple verses later emphasizes that in Luke 9 verse 34. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So while this discussion of the Exodus is going on between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, and Peter says we should build tents for you guys while we're here, right? And you notice that then the very next thing is what happens. The cloud of God is coming down and enveloping them as they speak of these things. You are getting a a redo of Mount Sinai and a redo of the tabernacle happening here in the transfiguration. We are seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of these images that Exodus was portraying of a new redemption, a new Exodus, a new rest that was going to be given to all people. That's what Jesus has come to accomplish. The Gospel of John highlighted that. We spent a lot of time and we studied through the Gospel of John. But to remind you of chapter 1 and verse verse 14, The Gospel of John records, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I hope every time you read that word dwelt, you know in your mind what to tabernacled, but we don't have a verb for that noun, tabernacle. He became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we saw His Glory. That's just what happened here in Exodus. As soon as the tabernacle is completed, what happens? The glory of the Lord comes down, fills the tabernacle because God is in the midst of the people. And John says that's exactly what we see in Jesus. That in Jesus we see the glory of the Lord. And John is writing and saying, He tabernacled among us and we saw His glory. His was with us. His glory was with us and he is with us through all these things 
an amazing picture is given of who Jesus is in these gospel accounts. That in Jesus we see the glory of of God. And it is seen not only in the transfiguration, it's seen in the baptism when we studied in Mark's gospel and seeing that same glory again. We see it in, in these beautiful teachings in the life that Jesus lived. Again and again, what we are looking at when we study the life of Jesus, when we pay attention to His actions and we look into His teachings, you are seeing the glory of God. Remember, that's what the Apostle Paul argued in 2 Corinthians 3, 18-20 there. As you have there, the Apostle Paul arguing and making the very important point that we, when we with unveiled faces are beholding the glory of God in Christ and are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. This is the very point that's being made that you are seeing God in this. And so here is this picture that Luke and John are giving to us that you have God tabernacling with his people. That the whole reason Jesus comes is because God wants to be with his people. It is the Exodus scene all over again that God has come down to be with him, he lives with him, and the proof of it is seen in Jesus. And then I want you to notice something really fascinating about what the Apostle Paul then points out to the Ephesians. Listen to what he teaches them in regards to this idea. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I want you to notice that final line because that is a line that has always troubled me until now. (laughs) I needed to study the book of Exodus to figure it out. This ending that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And I've always read that. (laughs) What do you mean by that? How am I filled with the fullness of God? What what is that imagery getting at? But it is this imagery here from the Exodus that is being depicted. And notice how that happens as, as this is being pictured for us. Is that the Apostle Paul writes here and says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is a stunning picture that what Paul says is when we are coming to know the love of Christ, which I love the irony, that surpasses knowledge, kind of paradoxical there. Okay, it surpasses knowledge. As you come to know the love of Christ, you're being filled with the fullness of God. 
you are now having an awareness of who God is. Beginning to grasp who He is. What He's done for you. And more importantly, to the imagery of Exodus, to the imagery of John, to the imagery of Luke, and to the imagery here in Ephesus, what we are seeing is that we know that God is with us. As we continue to stare into the life of Jesus, we continue to learn more about God and we grasp the love of God that surpasses knowledge and we continue to stare into that love and get a greater understanding in that. As we continue to have Christ dwell in our hearts by faith, we are pictured as having the same intimate covenantal relationship with God that these people are having right here. And that's stunning. Because, you know, I think for me and I think often for all of us how often it is that we would look into the Old Testament and think it would be nice to have all those tangible things that you could see. See that tabernacle and see it glowing at night with fire and see the cloud by day and see that cloud lift up and see it come down. And the argument that the New Testament writers always make is that you and I have something so much more. We have something so much more. That we are being filled with the fullness of God. It's not into a building But it came in Jesus, and as we see Him and learn more about Him, that is God with us. And we know that He is with us, and this then drives our obedience. This is what transforms us. This is what changes us so that we become lovers of God and worshipers of God. We see how much God loves us, how much He wants to be with us, how far God will go to be able to have a relationship with us, and that is to cause a change within us. And in our Sunday morning classes, when we study these prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, this is some of the most heart-rending ideas because here is God who has done all of this in a physical display and the people have turned their backs on it and they just go, we don't care. We don't care that His presence is here. We don't care that He lives among us. We don't care that He's given us rest. We don't care that He set us free. We don't care. We want to worship our gods. And this is why the writer of Hebrews turns around and says, and so how much worse for us? And we've been given so much more. And we have seen so much more. And now we have the Son. We have Jesus Himself who has come in the flesh. And we have beheld the glory of God in the life of Jesus. And here we have the revealed Word. And we are under a new covenant. And then how easy it is for turn around to do the exact same thing. That's why the writer of Hebrews spends so much time writing warning after warning after warning, preaching at the people. Be careful, be careful, be careful. You see what happened to them in the past with all that they had. We have so much more. And this is what the apostles are trying to give us is that picture. In fact, the picture pushes forward all the more because of how Exodus ends. Why did all this happen? Why does God tabernacle with them? Why does the glory of the Lord come down so that God will be with them in all their journeys? When Jesus comes down, the glory of God 
dies on the cross, returns to heaven so that God can be with us in all of our journeys. And it is our desire for God's presence to be with us every step of the way. That's what we just sang about tonight. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. This is what was set up in Exodus. God with the people, and when the cloud raises up, we will go wherever he goes, and when the cloud comes down, we will stop wherever he stops. And we have been given something far bigger than just simply a cloud and a tabernacle. We have been given that through Jesus and his exodus that he has accomplished for us and setting us free. Let me end the book this way. I love getting into all the details. I want to take just a step back and pull in all 40 chapters for a moment. Just the big idea then of the book of Exodus. The big message. What a beautiful book. But the whole idea of the book of Exodus is that God draws us out of slavery to draw us to him. The model of the book is that God loves his people and he will redeem them out of slavery and bring them to himself so that he can be in their midst, that God can be with his people, that he would be their God. They will belong to him and he will go with them in all of their journeys. We have been set free so that we can belong to him. That is what the whole big idea of the book is about. These are a people who were full of idols. We remember all the way back, if we go back into chapter 3, that Moses has to ask God, what should I tell the people about who sent me to you? How am I going to explain you to them? What a display of God's explanation of who he is pulls them out of slavery, brings them to the mountain, the cloud comes down, the tabernacle is built, and God is with His people. And the picture to us then is that God will be with us every day, everywhere we go, in our journey to the promised land, in our journey to the rest that lays ahead of us. And what Paul argues again and again, what's the proof that we know that God will be with us? The cross, the cross, the cross. Over and over again, the point is to see Jesus is the proof that God desires to be with us and will go with us on this journey every step of the way. He's the answer to our sin problem. And he is the greatest display of the truth that God expressed about who he is. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin, will on no means clear the guilty. That is all seen in the life of Jesus. This may sound strange, but I'm very excited to start the book of Numbers with you. And the reason why is because the book of Numbers is really where we are at spiritually. We've experienced the exodus. Now we're in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. What's the message that God wants his people to know as they go to the rest? That's what that book is all about. And we'll spend our Sunday nights going forward and looking at God's message to us as we travel with him to the great hope of eternal life.
We'll pull your song books out. We'll sing a song and we invite you to come to Jesus. I hope you see in the Exodus God's great desire to be with His people. The tabernacle. A beautiful picture of God coming down, filling it with His glory. And the image given to us that the reason Jesus came was so that He could be with us. So that we could be redeemed. That we would be set free from our sin. So that we could live with Him eternally. It is all part of God's plan. Because He loves us that much. And the more time we spend looking into the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, the more we'll be changed from one degree of glory to another, and the more we will grasp the fullness of God. We encourage you to turn away from your sins, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins this very day, before it's too late. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?